Amen. That's good, isn't it? That's good stuff. I decided to go sit down there because I heard them practicing it, and I was crying in my office, so I thought, I'm not going to cry in front of everybody today. (laughs) Man, that's good stuff, isn't it? Man, that's good. All right, Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5, beginning verse 18. We're going to look at just uh, two brief passages in the book of Genesis, and we're going to... um, Well, note a very interesting phrase, and then we're going to talk about that for just a few moments. So good to have you with us this morning, and uh, we're so certainly thrilled that you've chosen to worship and to praise the Lord together with us this morning here. Genesis chapter 5, beginning in verse 18, that's one of the books of the Bible that I think all of us can find pretty easily. There's a few of them. The other day I was at a conference and uh, one of the uh, speakers said, turn to Zephaniah. And, and I thought for a second, Zephaniah. I got nervous, you know. And then all of a sudden I started running through, you know how you have to kind of run through the books a little bit and you just, then all of a sudden it hit me. Whew. And I, I turned right to it. I was like, praise the Lord, I don't look bad, you know. But I had to run through those books in my mind, you know, how that goes and uh, some of them are a little easier to find than others. This one's pretty simple, pretty easy, right at the beginning. Chapter 5, beginning of verse 18. The Bible says, chapter 5, Genesis chapter 5, beginning of verse 18. We're going to read through verse 24. And Jared lived 160 and two years. Now, that right there has nothing to do with Subway. Jared, this is a different Jared, he lived 160 and two years, and he begat Enoch. And Jared lived after he begot Enoch 800 years, and he got sons and daughters. You know, you're, you're seeing that correctly, 800 years. This is before the flood, and before the flood, people lived a lot longer. Verse 20, and all the days of Jared were 960 and two years, and he died. And Enoch lived sixty and five years and begot Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begot Methuselah three hundred years and begot sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were three hundred sixty and five years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. What the Bible's basically saying is this Enoch never died. Enoch went right to heaven to be with the Lord. He went to heaven. He walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Now I want you to look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. We're going to be talking now about a different man by the name of Noah. And the Bible says about Noah, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. Isn't that interesting? Both these men, Enoch and Noah. Now, I want you to understand that these men represent two distinct groups of people. We'll talk a little more about that later. But you're going to realize and note as we move forward in Genesis, if we'd read that the flood or this judgment is coming. And obviously the flood is God's judgment for sin and rebellion in the world. He's pouring out his wrath on a sinful man, sinful world. Now, both Enoch and Noah lived before the flood, obviously. 
And God distinguishes these two men from all others in the entire Bible. When he says about them, they walked with God. Do you realize these are the only two men in the entire Bible that we read they walked with God? That's interesting to me. We're drawing attention to these two men, obviously. That phrase, walked with... I'm not saying they're the only ones that walked with God, but they're the only ones in the Bible that specifically it says they walked with God. Do a search in your Bible sometime. Put walked with God. And guess what? These are the only two men you'll read that about. Isn't that amazing? That to me was amazing, really. And so these are the only two men that this particular phrase is used. Obviously, as I said, God is drawing our attention to them and He wants us to learn something of them. Now... Even as God's wrath was poured out upon the earth in Noah's day, He's going to do the same thing in an essence in another time period called the tribulation. Now, He's not going to destroy it with water, but He is going to pour His wrath upon the earth and He's going to bring judgment and He's going to bring chastening and He's going to uh, uh, bring judgment to, to, the, to the earth and he's going to, that's going to be poured out. Enoch, the Bible tells us, according to the Word of God, was taken before the flood. And, and we note that Noah, he went through the flood. Now that's interesting to note and, and it's important to understand because, again, I said that these two men represent two distinct groups of people. And so what we're going to see is they represent groups of people, one group that is taken out before judgment and the other one that goes through judgment. So let's figure out who they are. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, please. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. That one's a little tougher, huh? Honestly, I haven't gotten there yet, and I know exactly where it's at, and I just keep kicking it around. There it is, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse, now let's read verse 13. Let's start in 13 instead, and just read through 18. Notice the Bible says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Again, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica, and so he's talking to the church, and Listen, inherently, we have to understand that when he talks to the church, he's talking about those that are born again, those that are saved, those that are already in Christ, okay? Now, again, we understand that within the context of the church entering into the building, we know that there will be people that come to the church inside the building who are not in Christ, who have yet to receive and accept the Lord Jesus. But those that are part of the church that have become members of the church are to be a saved, baptized body of believers, so really, if you are a member of Community Baptist Temple, you need to have a testimony of your salvation, a biblical testimony, one that expresses how salvation is in the Word of God. Not, I just had an experience. Not just, I felt good one morning. Not just that, that I, I try to be a, the best person I can possibly be. No, you have to have a biblical testimony of salvation, which is really a faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting only in His broken body, his shed blood to cover and to wash away our sin. Listen, let me tell you, salvation is by grace through faith. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. And the fact is, salvation is of the Lord. And so if you've been saved, then you did nothing to get it other than to yield your will to his will and just to receive and accept his wonderful gift of salvation. 
and you want to know something, that's about all you can do is just accept it, receive it. You can't do anything for it. Just accept and receive. Okay, you have that testimony now. And then you are scripturally baptized, submerged, brought out, just like the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You are showing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as well as your own death in the flesh, dying to self, dying to sin, dying to the atomic nature, being raised to walk in newness of life. Those two elements, requirements to, for church membership in a Bible church, a biblical church. So he's talking to the church at Thessalonica, and he's saying to those that are blood-bought, those that are already saved and born again, and he's saying to them, listen, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning, uh, to your brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Well, what's the problem? People that are asleep, that's no problem, right? No, he's talking about people that have died, but in Christ you're never really dead. You're really just asleep. Your body lays there. But honestly, you're not dead. Because that's not you. That's just the shell. That's the house. That's, it looks and appears you're sleeping. So he uses that terminology. And he goes on to say, I, I, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. He's just saying we're not going to go before them. He says, he's saying their body's going to come up out of a grave, but we're going to follow them right up into, to be with the Lord. That's what he's really saying there. Again, that's, that's a whole other issue. Don't have time to dwell on it. But verse 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Amen. Now what we see here is a, 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 a catching away. We see Christ coming only to the clouds, and out goes those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That would be the church, the body. Now listen, you don't have to be a member of any particular church. And I, don't, I don't want to get all crazy about this. You don't have to be a member about any particular church to be part of the body of Christ, but you have to be born again through faith in Christ. Okay, listen, I'm not going to stand here and tell you the only people that are in the, 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 the biblical church are Baptists. Uh, in denom- I'm not going to stand here and tell you that, okay? But what I will say is this, look at most denominations and faiths, you will find there are really only two in this world. There's either those that believe that salvation is by grace through faith, plus or minus, no works whatsoever, nothing at all, or there are those that believe that either you have to call on Christ and add something to it, or you have to work your way to heaven. There's only two ways, either works or there's grace. And let me tell you, there's not too many churches out there that believe in grace through faith. So you better be real careful. You say, I'm not going to that community Baptist temple. Man, I'll tell you what, they're a bunch of nuts. They're intolerant of this, and they've got all these rules and standards, and I just want to find a church where I can relax and feel comfortable. You better make sure they're preaching the real gospel. Because let me tell you something. have church over the, on the name, but that doesn't mean that they're really a biblical church. And when Jesus Christ comes back, he calls us the church, the body of Christ, and we're going to be taken out that day. We're going to leave this place. When does that take place? Look at Revelation chapter 4. I just want you to see that I'm never going to get through this message. I think we'll continue it maybe on tonight. Notice Revelation chapter 4. We have John. And John, of course, is a tremendous apostle of Jesus Christ. And John, honestly, 
as we look at his life, we look at his body of work, he is a wonderful picture of the church. Notice what it says here after this, verse chapter 4, I looked and behold, verse 1, a door was opened in heaven and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me. Where's that, where's that trumpet? Which said, come up hither and I will shew thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the spirit. Notice again, there's this trumpet that sounds. John is taken out. And as we know, he's transported into the future where there he looks uh, over the tribulation period. Those things which were and those things which are and those things which shall come to pass or shall be. And John is taken from this time period where we see chapters 2 and 3, the church being ex- uh, explained and the church being described. And all of a sudden, he is catapulted in chapter 4 of Revelation into the tribulation period where he looks down onto the soul wicked world that we live in and he sees it taking place before his very eyes. And he begins to write what he sees. You say, why in the world are there some things in there that are just so hard to understand? Can you imagine if... Just even our grandparents, some of our grandparents would come back to this day and age in which we live and watch people walking around talking to themselves. They'd think they were crazy. And really, they got those little Bluetooth things in their ears. Do you get where I'm going with this? John's seeing things as being catapulted from the time of Christ to that tribulation period, looking down on earth. And there he stands. And I believe he was there. I believe he's seeing it literally as it's transpiring and taking place. And he's watching it and he's just, wow, oh man. So he's describing the tribulation. So we see him there. Hold on. John, representing the church. John, right after chapter 2 and 3. John, before the tribulation, is what? Taken out. He's taken out. John himself does not, does not see the church. He doesn't describe the church going through the tribulation. He shows the church being taken out of the tribulation. And then we don't see the church again till chapter 19 of Revelation. So over here in chapters 2 and 3, we see the church being described and, and, and being explained. And then all of a sudden in chapter 4, he goes out. He's gone. Church is no longer mentioned. Church is not spoken of anymore in the book of Revelation. Now we're dealing with Israel and God again. And we're dealing with God and the world again. He's bringing judgment upon the world and he's chastening his own people. And here we go now. Watch for chapter 4 through chapter 19. No church. And all of a sudden, chapter 19, here's Jesus Christ coming back. And guess who's with him? Me and you, if you know Jesus Christ. So wait a second. What do we learn to learn then? As we look at Enoch, Enoch, we see a flood going to take place. God's wrath being poured out. Tribulation, we see God's wrath being poured out. We see two men back here in Genesis. One of them, before that flood, go out. Do you know who Enoch represents? Church who avoids God's judgment and wrath. We're not appointed under wrath, the Bible says. We're not appointed under wrath. We do not have to endure wrath. Our sin has already been nailed to Calvary. Our sin is as far as the east is from the west. It's so far removed. It's buried in the depths of the sea to be remembered no more. Let me tell you, friend, your sin is gone, gone, gone. And somebody says, well, and I told you we're not going to get through this message because we're not even on it now. The fact is, is that we see the cross of Jesus Christ here 2,000 years ago. I want you to understand this thing because sometimes we misunderstand it. 
And it's easy to get misunderstood. But hold on. The Bible says our sin is forgiven. It's forgiven. It's gone. How can my sin be forgiven? Okay, I believe that when I got saved 2,000 years later, here I stand. I got saved on, you could even give a date if you choose. Maybe you don't remember the date, but you remember that experience because you remember when it was. It was in the afternoon. Or I remember it was at a service. Or I remember it was beside my bed. I remember it was at my house. You remember something about this event because it was so big in your life. And you remember something about it. And so you remember when it took place. And you say to yourself, I know my sin was forgiven from that point on. I know that my past sin has been washed away. But now I have to live a good life. My sin's going to ever be for me. It's a mess. Hold on, wait a second. Let Let me try to explain something to you. When the Bible says your sin is forgiven, that means it's all forgiven. Past, present, future. See, the day I got saved, all my sin washed away. And we're not talking about fellowship. We're talking about our relationship. See, God can't fellowship with me if I'm a sinner. So my sin has to be washed away, totally clean. So guess what? 2,000 years ago, God, the Lord Jesus Christ, died on Calvary, took my place and paid for my sin. And so I got saved on this date. And I say, all my sin, my past sin, forgiven. My future sin, that's on me. Hold on. Fact. Your past sin was future when he died on Calvary. Do you realize the only sin he forgave you of is your future sin? It's all future to him. He said, well, that's my past sin. Yeah, but it was future when he... He died on Calvary and paid for your sin. He paid for the sin of the world before you were ever born. Guess what? Sin was already dealt with and paid for before you even showed up. So listen, when your sin has been forgiven, past, present, and future, it can be forgiven that way because sin was dealt with 2,000 years ago. It doesn't matter when you were born in history. The fact is, is that it's all Him that forgives. And your sin is washed away. Let me tell you something. You want to know why you ought to live for Christ? You want to know why you ought to do something for Jesus? Because your sin is washed away. Past, present, and future. Sure, you can go out and do what you want. And people say, oh, you're that group that believes you can go out and live however you want and still get to heaven. Let me tell you something. You shouldn't want to live however you want. You've got to recognize the fact that your sin is forgiven. And it's all by grace through faith. You have nothing to do with it. And God was so gracious and so good to you and me that he gave us forgiveness and he gave us his son and he gave us himself. And boy, we now have a relationship and fellowship with the God of the universe. Why do I want to sin? Why do I want to live my life? Why do I want to do my own thing all the time? And why do you? Man, we ought to be so grateful. So thankful for what God's done for us. The greatest sinner on earth that comes to Jesus Christ, his sin is just like yours, gone forever. You don't know what I've done in my life. I don't care what you've done in your life. And neither does he. Now, he cares what you do after you get saved, but let me tell you what, that's not about your sin anymore. That's about fellowship with your father. And let me tell you something. If you don't think fellowship with Jesus Christ is important, you have missed the boat, believer. You want to know why we're so miserable as believers today? Because we have no fellowship with Him. You don't know the circumstances. Circumstances do not determine our joy. They do have an effect on our happiness, but they have no effect on joy. Joy looks far beyond the, ex- the experience we're going through and sees a Savior that loved us enough to die for us and recognizes us as valuable and, and inherently, good, uh, inherently saved and washed in the blood of Christ. You know that I'm the apple of His eye? I learned this the other day at that conference. I said, what do you do? If you get close enough in someone's eye and you look right in it, who do you see? 
You see yourself. Get close enough to Jesus Christ. Guess who you see? Yourself. You're the apple of his eye. But not only that, guess who he sees? Himself. Do you get that? Your sin is forgiven. He sees himself. You see yourself. You're the apple of his eye. When you see his eye, and he ought to be the apple of your eye. My, isn't that amazing? Now, they didn't, of course, expand it as well as I did. <laughs> but isn't that liberating? It's, you Baptists believe you have to do this and do this and do this and do this and do this to be accepted of God. No, we don't. Because the Bible don't teach that. Let me tell you something. We ought to want to be and we ought to want to separate ourselves from We ought to want to honor the Christ who died for us and gave us all this glorious benefit. So we see Enoch taken out before the flood. We see John taken out before the tribulation. What we see then is we see the church <clears throat> represented by Enoch being taken out before the judgment. Well, who's the other group represented? Well, I think we can probably figure that one out, can't we? Look, if you will, over the book of Matthew, chapter 24, verse 21. We have never, ever, ever taken the place of Israel. You need to realize that. We have never taken Israel's place in God's eyes. We are the church. We are not Israel. We are not spiritual Jews in that sense. That's not how it works. We are the church, and they are the Jews, and they're still God's people. They're still God's people, and God's going to begin working on the Jew again when the church is taken out. Guess when that? That is tribulation. He turns his attention from the church to the Jew again, begins to deal and work with the Jew as a people, a nation again. Watch what happens in Matthew. We see this group. Matthew 24, 21. The Bible says, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world, to this time, nor, no, nor ever shall be. Again, you see that tribulation period? Who's he writing to here? It's at the... The Olivet Discourse or the Mount of Olives. Who's he really addressing still? The New Testament. You say, well, these books are in the New Testament, so he's dealing with the church. Not really. Because what we find is that over in the book of Hebrews chapter 9, that the New Testament demands the death of a testator. Blood had to be shed for the new covenant to come into being. Therefore, the truth is the New Testament does not begin till the death of Jesus Christ with the shed blood. So what we're reading about is Old Testament still. And you know who God's dealing with in the Old Testament? The Jew. Israel still. Who's he talking about in Matthew chapter 24? The Jew, Israel. That's who he's dealing with. That's who he's talking to. He's not talking to you and I in the church. Notice another passage over there. Look at Matthew 24, 13. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Do you know that during the tribulation period, you have to endure to the end to be saved? 
That's what it says, doesn't it? Do you know what we do sometimes if we're, we're not rightly dividing the Word of God? We scramble there and we go, well, that can't mean what it says, so therefore there must be some kind of spiritual meaning. There's got to be some kind of allegory. It's got to be something going on there that I don't get because God can't mean what He says. He means exactly what He says. But see, remember, Enoch represents the church. We're already gone. Don't have to worry about enduring to the end of the tribulation period. Not even there. If you're there, you, good luck. Endure, because if you don't, if you take the mark of the beast, if you take that 666, done. No hope at all. And by the way, if you've heard the word of God and you've rejected Jesus Christ according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, you will believe the delusion that God will send. You will believe the lie, and you will buy into it whether you want to or not. You say, well, if I don't want to, I won't. You will, though. God tells us that he'll send that delusion. Not Satan only. God will send a delusion. Those people that had seen and heard and rejected Christ had opportunity to receive him. The Holy Spirit of God had convicted them and drew them unto salvation and they rejected the Savior. They won't get saved. Someone says, so you mean anybody that's ever heard the gospel? Well, anybody that's ever had the Holy Spirit draw them. I suppose somebody could have walked by a, a, a service one night and heard somebody say, you must be born again and just kept walking by. You'd say, well, then there they go. They're done. I don't know. If the Holy Spirit convicted them about needing salvation, the Holy Spirit showed them that they're a sinner in need, in need of Christ, yeah, they're done. But I do think that there has to be Holy Spirit involvement. Because, see, the truth is you and I, none of us, draw men unto Jesus. Holy Spirit draws them. <clears throat> so we see Noah then. He's going through the flood. Guess what? He represents the Jew that goes through the tribulation period. So we have these two people. We have Enoch and we have Noah. Both of them walk with God. Both of them. And here's how I'm going to end the message. I have skipped the whole message. But I want to end with where I was going with it. When it's all said and done, both these men walked with God. So here's what we need to understand. God permitted one to be delivered from tribulation. God allowed the other to be delivered through tribulation. In each case, God permitted. And in each case, God is I don't know what you're going through today. But I want you to understand that there's a God in heaven. If you're his child today, I want you to realize that whatever you're going through, he's going to be faithful to get you through it. He said he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. I want you to know today that he may be permitting you to go through some real trial and tribulation, real difficulty, but he is faithful to carry you through it. Amen. Oh, he may deliver you from it, but if he doesn't, he will get you through it. Noah went through the flood. I got to believe that it was not an easy time. Think about old Noah there. 
first of all, just building the ark and just taking a stand for God, that would have been tough enough. But now the rains come and there he is in that ship with just his family and all those animals. Now, I don't know if God put supernatural deodorizers all through the boat or what, but I got to believe it was a disgusting place in that regard. I mean, how do you, what did you do with all of that stuff that comes forth? I mean, they weren't allowed to open any doors. They weren't allowed to open any windows. They were literally inside, stuck. That sounds gross, but that is exactly what he went through. I mean, can you imagine the fear on their, on, on their faces at times when the wind and the waves and the, the, possibly the thunder was cracking and lightning was smashing and the, the, just the fear and, oh, no, it's concern for his wife and family. Oh, I know he believed that God locked him in that boat. And I know he had seen God work supernaturally. And I know that he had a faith that was probably well beyond ours. I mean, I understand that. But he still was a human he was still flesh. And I got to believe that as he saw his children, I don't know if his children had his faith. And I don't know if his wife had the faith that he had. And I got to believe that it hurt him to see them fearful and afraid. All those months, all that difficulty, all the confusion, oh my, our world will be so different. We are the only ones that will walk away alive. I mean, we, we get upset when the pastor changes the service time a half hour or an hour. We're going to do what? Uh, coming to see you, Elizabeth. I saw a commercial with that on it once. Let me tell you something. These guys are going to walk off an ark and be literally the only human beings on the entire world. Entire earth. That had to re, I mean, just resonate. And uh, I'd be a little concerned, put it that way. But you know what God is? Whether He delivers us from or delivers us through, He is always. I want to encourage you to trust the Lord today. I don't, I don't know if it's a report from a doctor you're waiting on. I don't know if it's a marriage situation or a family situation or relatives or a hurt or a heartache or it's a financial distress that you're going through or possibly fearful you're going to lose your job. I don't know what's going on in your life specifically and I can't say for sure how it will turn out. All I know is this. Whether he delivers you from or delivers you through, he is faithful. Trust him with all your heart. Lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Do you know Christ today is your Savior? I mean, have you trusted Him with your eternity? Have you entered into His family? We are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, Galatians 3.26 tells us. You're only a child of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Have you exercised faith in Christ and Christ alone? 
you have, you're in his family. You're one of his children. And I can tell you that he would never permit one of his children to go through the fire. He'll, re he'll rescue you. He did already. But then he also desires tremendous fellowship with you. How's your walk with God? How's your relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you find yourself spending any time with him just to get to know him, not to get something from him? God, help us today to realize how good we really have it in Christ Jesus. If you're not saved, settle it today. In just a moment, the music will play. We'll all, we'll all stand. The music will play. Every head will be bowed. And we're going to give you an opportunity to respond if the Holy Spirit of God is moving. Go ahead and put your Bibles away and everything. We're done. We don't want any noise. We don't want any sound. We don't want any interruption. We don't want people leaving, going to the bathroom in just a moment. This is the most important time. Unless it's an emergency, emergency, emergency. This right now is the time when the Holy Spirit of God works in lives. This is more important than the message I was preaching during that time. Let's be considerate of others. Movement sends our minds away from the Holy Spirit's prompting. In just a moment, the music will play. Are you 100% sure heaven's your home? Do you know Christ is your Savior? Do you have a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus? If you don't, you need to step out of your seat in just a moment. Come forward to one of the gentlemen that will be at the sides and tell them, I need to meet him. And we'll take a Bible and show you God's word, not what a church believes, but what God's word says. And if you're a child of God today, maybe you're fearful of having to go through some tribulation. Whether he delivers you from it or through it, he is faithful. Maybe you need to just come and say, Lord, I don't know what to expect in these next weeks or months, but I believe you're faithful and I'm going to trust you. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, you'd bless us and help us. <clears throat>